Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. In this podcast, I'm speaking with Kim McIntosh, who is a lung cancer patient initially diagnosed in early 2017, and I'm pleased to say she's doing extremely well. And she has an unusual form of lung cancer, and we're going to hear about that and about her history and how she's managed and changed since being diagnosed with lung cancer. Uh, Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, before we get into the lung cancer, though, maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, and your background. Okay, a little bit of my uh, background history is um, I'm 51 years old. Um, up until I was diagnosed two years ago with uh, lung CA, I was working full-time um, at a Cornwall Community Hospital as a uh, psychiatric nurse for 27 years full-time in the community. And uh, family... Family. I live in Cornwall. Um, mother of two teenage girls. Pretty much grew up in Cornwall. I've been there for 38 years, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> and and so maybe we'll come back in a bit to the fact that you're you're a nurse and you worked in mental health mm -hmm. and maybe how that um, influenced what you've been through. Um, for the, for the lung cancer, what, what were the symptoms that you had that initially led to the diagnosis? Okay, initially um, I was uh, working and I had a lot of anxiety, so I had developed a lot of gastric reflux. It's called GERD. And so for approximately two years, I had one of those dry coughs um, with a little bit of heartburn. And uh, my physician, my family physician, had changed the meds a couple of times. And the last med change, it cleared up most of the cough, but it hadn't quite gone away. I started to develop a little bit of shortness of breath, and I felt that I was getting a little pneumonia in the left lung, so I advocated with my family physician, and I asked her to order a chest x-ray. So she did order a chest x-ray, and I promised that I would come and see her the following week to have the test done early before I got there. Um, she called me uh, during the chest x-ray. She, uh, They asked me if I was a smoker, so I thought that was kind of unusual. They would ask me that uh, at the uh, test. Later that day, she called me um, at home and said that, that the chest x-ray looked a little smeared and that she would like me to have a more clearer diagnostic test. So she ordered a CT scan, and I had it done the very next day, actually, at her hospital in Winchester. And on Tuesday, she called me into her office, which was three days later. She said there's a tumor, uh, five by seven, in the left upper lobe with spots in the lining, and that she was referring me to Ottawa to uh, see an oncologist to the cancer clinic. Wow, so so, I guess once you got to your family doctor, things went quite quickly, but you'd been having symptoms for quite some time. About two, two and a half that. years. And the, the commonest symptoms that lead to a diagnosis of lung cancer are a cough or hemoptysis, which is coughing up blood. Did you Did you cough up any blood? I just had this dry hacking cough that was always there. Um, you know, I would probably cough in between every sentence that I spoke. And that was pretty much it, along with the gastric reflux, that that heartburn uh, that you would feel in your chest. So, And those were the only symptoms. And when you were in the x-ray department, uh, you mentioned that they asked you if you were a cigarette smoker. Were you? 
I've never smoked. So I, I thought that was kind of an unusual question. I kind of wondered if maybe there was something wrong with the x-ray at that point. Given that you'd never smoked cigarettes and you were asked that question, which started you wondering, were you wondering about lung cancer or were you, was your mind thinking about other possible diagnoses? I just thought it was odd. You know, I didn't, having had a bit of a history of asthma, I thought, well, maybe they're just seeing something, you know, with the asthma has developed or, or gotten worse. So I really didn't think a lot about it until she called me at the end of the day, which was only about three hours later. She, they had uh, sent the uh, x-ray to her in Winchester. Okay. So then when you had, you had the CT scan and you get referred to the, the cancer center, did it take a long time then to receive appointments and go through additional tests or biopsies? How it happened is is that they sent she sent the referral Tuesday morning because I saw her first thing. Um, Wednesday afternoon, they called me uh, from the cancer clinic, actually the cancer assessment clinic. Um, it was a referral for Dr. Amjadi, the thoracic surgeon. Um, they called me to say that there was an opening, that there had been a cancellation, and could I come up the next morning, which I did. So within two days, I was at the uh, cancer assessment clinic. I met with Dr. Amjadi. He explained um, the, what was going on with the lung and what the uh, CT scan looked like um, and drew it out for me on a nice little piece of paper, which was really uh, self-explanatory. Um, he and Dr. Lee decided at that point, because there was fluid in the lining, that they would do a thoracentesis right there in the office okay. with no freezing. Wow. And a thoracentesis <laughs> is, is, is a needle through the chest wall yeah. to, to pull off some fluid. Yeah. yeah. So they, they did that. Actually, it was, um, they said it was less painful to have it done without freezing, and it actually was. It wasn't that bad. It didn't really bother me. Um, from there, they scheduled a, um, a surgery date because he wanted to go in and do some biopsies and take the rest of the fluid off because I was building fluid in the lining where the spots were. So three weeks later, I, I, I think I got one cancellation and I got in a little earlier. I got in around March 6, I think it was. It, was, it wasn't very long and I had uh, the biopsies done. He did 15 samples to look for biomarkers and he took three liters of fluid off my lung because it had uh, filled up quite a bit. Three liters. Were you pretty out of breath at that time? I was extremely short of breath at that point, but I just kept thinking, well, you know, it's not, it, you know, I'll keep going. I, I still wasn't sinking in what was going on with the process, but he took the three liters off. He put a Plurex tube in. He did the biopsies, uh, and they were sent away for biomarker testing. Okay. So it, it sounds to me like the, that initial bit with the X-ray and the scan and getting in to see the team at the cancer assessment clinic happened within days, but then it took three weeks until then there was a slot to have the the the, the, the procedure to have the, the tube put in, the Plurex tube put in, and the biopsies taken. Those three weeks, I'm, I imagine that would have been really stressful. Was, was, was that a tough time, the uncertainty or the waiting? It was really tough because you're, you're thinking, you're researching, A, you're researching online and you're looking up things about lung cancer. And unfortunately, the internet can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. And you have a million hits on lung cancer. So I, you know, I did some research, but then after the first week, I thought I needed to shut it down and not research it anymore and kind of just wait to see what the testing proved when I went in for the biopsies. 
it was tough because when you're diagnosed with that, I asked right away what the diagnosis was, and they said it would probably most likely be a stage four. So then you you really think about how long am I going to live? Am I going to make it the year? Am I going to have any biomarkers? You know, what kind of treatments uh, am I going to have to have? Am I going to be really sick? You know, those are the things you think about constantly for about three weeks. Okay, so then at the end of that three weeks, and you've had the fluid taken out, and you've had the biopsies, so what was the diagnosis and the stage? So what happened once the test came back a couple of weeks later, and Dr. Um, Stewart is my oncologist, he confirmed that I had an EGFR mutation, and it was an exon 19. And the exon 19 is not treated with chemo radiation at that point because I, I had uh, spots in the lining. It's treated by targeted therapy, which is a, a medication you take that goes into the receptor of the cancer cell, blocks it, and locks the door to keep it from growing again and shrinks it, basically. So we immediately, uh, I met with Dr. Stewart. He gave me the information, and we started medication right away. And when the cancer is in the lining of the lung... In, in your situation, then that's a stage four lung cancer. That, so he yeah. told you that as well. and Yeah, because he says you cannot remove the lining. Uh, right. That's it. If it spots are in the lining, it's inoperable, and that's what makes it a stage four. Right. So um, just to go into a little bit of detail there, so this EGFR uh, mutation is a subtype of lung cancer. We see it in about uh, 10 to 15% of people with lung cancer. And... Um, typically, but not exclusively, it's in people, Kim, like you, who have not been cigarette smokers or, or maybe, you know, quit smoking many, many years ago. Um, just back to that bit about smoking, though, because uh, um, stigma is an issue with lung cancer. And while the majority of people with lung cancer are or were cigarette smokers and smoking is the biggest risk factor. There are many people like you who never smoked. And indeed, most people who do smoke don't get lung cancer. So the bottom line, I think, is if you have lungs, you can get lung cancer. But back back to your your um, experiences, did people assume you were a smoker? And, and were you, did you feel stigmatized? Occasionally, people would assume, when you started to tell your story about how you developed lung cancer and that you were on targeted therapy, people, the first question they would ask, did you smoke? So you'd have to explain that, you know, if, again, if you have lungs, you can get lung cancer. Like nobody is immune to it. All you need is lungs. So I'd have to explain that. Plus with the EGR mutation, if you're a non-smoker, you actually have only a 28% chance of being diagnosed with that biomarker. If you're actually a smoker, you only have a 5% chance of having a biomarker. So your, your factors are, are less, you're, you have less. Uh, right. That's right. And the 10 to 15%, I, quoted is yeah. sort of overall but yeah. um but but you're right so so the treatment you were started on um was a pill mm-hmm. and um how did that go did, did you have any problems with that so i started on a fatinib i started in march i started on the the highest dose um i had multiple side effects from it it causes nausea vomiting diarrhea um you know the classic ones and of course when you get in that cycle it gets difficult to manage your uh, fluids and electrolytes and stuff so i had a, a tough time with it 
Um, but I tried to persevere for a month and it was just too much to tolerate. So he did reduce it from, uh, from 40 to 30. So I tolerated that again for another month and I still had really, um, excessive side effects, even with uh, maximizing, uh, medications for anti-nausea and anti-diarrheal. It just, it wasn't working. I did do a lot of research online with my uh, Facebook group that uh, we have an EGRF uh, Facebook group and it post posted the question how to deal with the side effect profile and a lot of them recommended a drug holiday. So when I went back in to see him and he was going to reduce it again to 20, he says, we'll take a few days off. I, being the nurse that I am, decided based on the advice of my Facebook group, took four weeks off. So that four weeks, I was able to uh, get the side effect profile under wraps and eliminate the diarrhea and the nausea and vomiting. Plus, I had him switch me to a better uh, medication for, for the diarrhea. And I was able to tolerate the 20 milligrams when I went back on it. And I tolerated it in total between all the three different doses for 11 months. Okay. Yeah. And I, I guess for people who are listening who may be worried that what happens to the cancer when the dose gets reduced and reduced like that, um, actually, there's there's very good evidence that the, in those situations, uh, the drug is just as effective Absolutely. at the lower dose uh, as it is at the, the normal starting dose. Um, and the, the side effects that you got, uh, I guess, were typical uh, diarrhea and a rash is another common, ran, common I, one. I had you? the rash too, but the rash. as the dose decreased, I, uh, the side effect profile lessened. It was still there a little bit, and they, you know, it, the drug still kept working because they would do a, C, a repeat CT every month to right. monitor the... Uh, and how was your quality of life during that time? Um, I guess not so great because of the side effects, but had, had, the, had the cough gone away or the, did your breathing improve? Immediately when I started the medication, the cough disappeared within days and uh, the breathing improved because the Plurex tube, I had the Plurex tube for six weeks and the fluid came off and did not return. The lining of the lung adhered to the lung um, beautifully. It healed really nicely and so that I didn't have any shortness of breath either. And so all of those went away as soon as it was like within days that started the meds. Right. So these drugs often work really quickly and mm -hmm. people do often feel better very soon. So what happened after 11 months? After 11 months, you know, my routine once a month CT scan, um, it started to show that the lining uh, started to thicken. Now, I did go back to see Dr. M. Jaddy for a consult because he's the thoracic surgeon. He reviewed all the CT scans for that year and he felt that the the lining was thickening just due to the fact that there was no fluid in, because you can't replace the fluid once it's gone. Um, Dr. Stewart was convinced that it was the, uh, it was remutating. So after some deliberation and about two different appointments, he finally said, I'm, he wanted to do a biopsy, but because the lining is so thin with the wall of the lung, there's really not a lot to take tissue from, samples from. So he um, ordered a liquid biopsy. So we did the liquid biopsy for the T790, and it came back positive. That is very cool. And so you are talking now about um, the the leading edge of science with lung cancer. Mm -hmm. So maybe I could just explain a little bit about that. So um, for EGFR mutation positive lung cancer, this unusual type that Kim has, uh, it's usually very successfully treated with tablets like the afatinib that, that you were on but inevitably at some point it stops working and 
usually or commonly that's because of a new mutation that can be detected, the one you mentioned called T790M. Um, but to detect that, normally, you know, you need to do another biopsy and we check the tumor again to see if the new mutation is there. Um, but sometimes it's not safe to do another biopsy or there's no spot which is easily accessible. So where the new science is, is these liquid biopsies. And, and the theory behind that is that the cancer cells sort of shed their material into the bloodstream and with a blood test and super technology that I don't understand so well, mm. these mutations can now be detected in, in, in blood. So uh, so I guess that's what happened, and the T790M mutation is found in you. And so what happened then? So as soon as I was diagnosed with uh, the T790, there is a second-line medication that came out called Targresso, so I started on that on full dose. And uh, from there, the lining uh, thickening stopped. It thinned back out. The CTs became normal again. And mostly every CT I've had in the last, it's been a year now, have shown uh, they can't see anything on the CT. That is fantastic mm -hmm. to hear. Um, but you struggled with the initial drug, with diarrhea and rash and nausea. What about with this one? Very minor side effects, all tolerable. Um, there's sometimes occasionally you get diarrhea and occasionally you might feel a little bit nauseated, but really um, the side effect profile for the second drug was maybe not even a quarter of what the first drug was. Okay. So it's very tolerable and you could tweak it with just a little bit of medication, PRN medication here and there and uh, very tolerable. Right. And I should say that this podcast is not funded in any way by the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, I'm not going to mention any company names, uh, but the drug you're on now, osimertinib or Tegriso, mm -hmm. I think is my favorite lung cancer drug right now because uh, it works really well and people seem to manage it extremely well. Mm -hmm. So the story you tell is really um, uh, the story of science uh, really getting ahead of the disease. Um, so you haven't had any intravenous treatment then since you were diagnosed? The only intravenous treatment I had was when I was very sick on the afatinib, and it was really IV fluid replacement that I had done, um, you know, because I had been in and out of the ER a couple of times for the side effect profile. And, you know, I had been on home care with a home care nurse uh, for IV fluid replacement, but that's it. No chemotherapy. No chemotherapy. Okay. Despite all of those very encouraging parts of the story you've told me. Um, you still do have a diagnosis of stage four lung cancer. And we now we know that the prognosis can be a whole lot better than it ever used to be with stage four. But still, we don't r consider it a curable condition. So often we talk, at least I talk to people, and I'm, I'm sure Dr. Stewart does as well, about this concept of advanced care planning, which is the concept of when you've got um, an, an incurable condition or a life-limiting condition, you know, are there other things you should think about above and beyond what treatment you're going to receive? Uh, and that ranges from um, legal issues, uh, will, power of attorney, getting affairs in order, to a bucket list. Um, or just 
finding your priorities. Did you go through that thinking or process? With the wills and the legal process, we had done that quite some time ago, so it was something I didn't really have to think about. Uh, we had planned, because we have young children, we had planned that early on. Um, you do look at life differently. You um, you realize that uh, everybody else, you have a red flag, and it's to live each day as it comes along, and it, that it's a journey. And... Uh, you know, really value the, the relationships that you have around you. I think that's it was really important that, you know, that you strengthen those. And, and did, you, um, did you change the way you dealt with people or were there, I don't know, are there people you reconnected with or the trips that you took that you were... I think I think uh, we we did we we went on cruises and we spent we spent a lot more time with our friends. I always find an excuse to have a birthday party now because I my biggest excuse is I don't know if I'll have another one. So every year I have a big birthday party now. So, <laughs> um, how do you deal with that uncertainty you just mentioned there? You say you don't know if you're going to have another birthday. I think some days you you don't think about it and you feel good and you think I'm just going to keep going until I can't. And other days you you do think about it a little bit and sometimes you might feel a little bit down. But then I think it plays into the fact that you may be tired that day too. And then you, you wake up the next day and you think, oh, it's a new day and I'm still here. So I can make the best of it and fit in what I think I want to do that day. And, you know, that's how kind of I look at things. I always try and find the silver linings and everything. So, but on those days when you're when you're not feeling so optimistic or not feeling so good, who do you turn to for support? My friends and my family. That's when you know those are the days when you have your boohoo's and you'll you'll talk to your friends about it and you you tell them all your little uh, wishes that you want. And <laughs> do you think your history, your background of working in mental health, um, has helped you with that? I think absolutely, because I, you know, I always teach, uh, taught my clients, you know, even though they were, you know, uh, stricken with uh, severe mental illness, to find the silver linings and find the support and reconnect. And I've always, you know, tried to foster that in my clients. So, uh, you know, I just kind of had to use a little bit of my own advice. <sighs> and um, I guess the last question I have for you, Kim, is um, wh what are you looking forward to? What are your hopes now? going forward? Well, since uh, September of last year, I got on board and went to the World Lung Conference and, and really learned about advocacy and education. So I've really been into the social media with Twitter and Facebook and my Facebook groups with lung cancer on, on the advocacy point, joined the Lung Cancer Canada support group, which was really, I, I had met the girls at um, the World Conference. So I've joined that group, and I'm hoping to go to the Hope Summit in Washington in uh, April for the Survivorship uh, Summit. And I've also applied to go to the World Conference in Barcelona, too. And right. So yeah, we all want to go to that one. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I applied for a travel award. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's coming up in September. So uh, we'll hopefully podcast from that conference with the mm -hmm. latest updates. Um well, Kim, thank you very much for your time and for sharing yeah. your story and being so open and honest with uh, uh, what you've been going through. You're welcome. Thank you again for joining us. Lung Cancer Voices was made possible in part by a generous donation from Marielle and Nick Burris. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan and on Twitter at LungCancer underscore can. 
For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.